0: So, a few weeks ago, we began by um, starting the entire tefillah of the olam. Tonight we're going to finish the entire tefillah, and we discussed the history and the concepts and the themes of this tefillah. Most importantly for the background is the history. We said the story, um, which most of the sources seem to agree with, that this tefillah was written at a time of of, uh, decrees of Shat Hashemad, so to speak, um, during the Persian Empire, and like so, in about the 5th century, when they made it forbidden to say Kriyat Shema in public because they, the Persian Empire was Zoroastrian, they believed in two gods and a two god system, and they knew that Shema Israel was the Jewish pro- proclamation or commandment to proclaim one god. Therefore, they made a takana, a, a decree that Jews cannot do that. So they would wait until... The two, two things ended up happening. One is that they would say Shema at home, which is why this tefillah was written. And the other thing that happened was that they began saying Shema Yisrael after the guards had already left, which was after the fourth hour um, of the morning, which therefore on, uh, in the Musaf of Shabbat, we say in Ketar Yitzinu or Fiyashkenaz Naktishach that we say the... Um, I think Ashkenaz they say... I, I could be wrong. The, um, they say Shema Israel inside the Kiddushah. Okay, so that was why this tefillah was written. So the climax of the tefillah is obviously Shema Israel Hashem Elkein Shemachad. What follows it is a short tefillah which begins with Atahu at shalom haolam, ve'atahu mishen It was you, you, uh, you existed before you created the world, you existed after cre- you created the world. And it ends with a bracha. Baruch Atah Hashem, Mekadesh Et Shemo Barabim, Mekadesh Shemcha Barabim. There's different versions of it. Some don't have. Baruch Hashem, the Sephardi versions just say, Baruch Atah Mekadesh Barabim. So because it ends with the bracha, it's a very interesting thing, because in general, Lanchek Nesat HaGadolah created the brachot, and nobody adds or minuses any brachot from then. We have a rule that the Rishonim say that we don't count or say any brachot it's not. We don't count them as one of the 100, and we don't say them if they weren't created by, if it wasn't mentioned. Sorry, not created by Kana Shikas If it wasn't mentioned in the Talmud Bavli, if it was never mentioned in by anybody in the Gemara, we don't we don't count it as a bracha. We don't say it as a bracha. So, this was never never existed in Talmud Bavli. Doesn't exist in in, in the Gemara. So there's no apparently no source. Uh, it would seem that there was no source to say Baruchat Hashem. So now, is it counted as a bracha? Um, the Raviyah in Brachot one of the Rishonim he's Avi ha- uh, Ezra Avi Ezri he says it's not counted as one of them surprisingly however he still says Hashem. his Minhag was to say Hashem, and he doesn't know why it's not counted but he knows that it's not counted as one of the 100 Brachot he brings a few, a few different proofs and um, but he does establish that there's no source but he upholds the Nusach he very strongly upholds the Nusach and Tosafot in Brachot um Discusses it, and he sounds like he does count it as one of the 100 brachot. He also, he also says that the, the, the he says that it's a brachat and that's why it doesn't start with bruchat hashem. That Tosafot is talking about, uh, like which brachot start with baruch, which ones end with baruch, and he says this one only ends with bruchat hashem because it's a brachat Just like in the morning we say alokaynishem Shamash tabi that doesn't start with bruchat hashem. That's Tosafot over there in brachot mem vav memraleph. Fine. So, because the, of the closing of the bracha, because of the end of it, that it says Hashem, The Levush understood from this that that means that this end part was written after the Gzairah was annulled. So after, so this is five years after the the, the was made. It was it was the decree was lifted because the king had died. So this is why they said Rahad to praise Hashem that he sanctified his name in public. That was how the Levush understood it. Other people might understand it differently. The Chassid Ashkenaz they say something very interesting. They say that this bracha was instituted at Ashat Hashmad, and since then no Beit Din has minus or added any bracha since. Sounds like the Hasid Ashkenaz had a had a misora, that this was the last bracha ever written. It was written in the time of the latest Amoraim at the what is called Sof Hora'ah, the end of uh, of legislation, the end of lawmaking. And it seems that they had a misora that um, that this is the last bracha and it's counted as a bracha. That's what it seems like. Now, the formulation of this of this um, uh, bracha comes from another place. It's not clear if it had a precedent or it's borrowed from there. But there's a Yerushalmi, which all of the Rishonim speak about, even even like the later, po- like the Beit Yosef brings it. I think it's the Beit Yosef or the Taz. They um, they bring. This Yerushalmi, and we don't have this in our Yerushalmi. However, we do have this midrash that the Raviyah brings. We have it in the Alkut Shemoni, and it goes like this. So we have it. I you know, have it in front of us. This Alkut Shemoni is in Beit Hanan, uh, Taf Taf Vav So it begins. Eliyahu Zichrono Zichrono Alatabi Shaalat That Eliyahu Hanavi asked Rabbi Nehorai Rabbi Nehorai was one of the second generation Tanaim. He was Rabbi Lazar ben Arach. And if you remember Avot, he was weighted, literally weighted, as one of the greatest Tanaim to ever live. If you put him on one side of the scale, he outweighs everybody else. That's what it says in Avot. One of the greatest Tanaim. So he asked him if why are there earthquakes in the world? Amarlow, he said, okay, I'll explain to you. Two Pesukim, one says that Hashem looks at the earth, the other one says Hashem gazes at the earth and it trembles. So, When the Jewish people do God's will, the world doesn't shake. When they don't do His will, the world shakes and that's earthquakes. That's how Noharai Harai explained it to the Avi. Avi said, said, I swear that what you're saying is true. it's it's logical. Elakachu i karos halavar, but this is the truth of the matter. This is how it actually works at its core. Bishaa shachodesh baruchu mabitolamo. When Hashem gazes at His world, viroe batei tartiot ubatei karkasiot yoshvim betach v'shanan v'shlevim. When He sees the goyim sitting in their batei tartiot, or like uh, playhouses, ubatei karkasiot, their circuses, karkas, uh, like circus. They, they're sitting there having fun. And he sees his own temple is destroyed. He stares threateningly at his world to destroy it. When B'nai Yisrael wake up in the, early in the morning and they, and they leave late at night, in order to say Sh'ma Israel. B'tkavtzim kol malache hasherei tezel kadosh baruch hu. All the angels of song uh, gather around Hashem. Veomrim lefanab and they say in front of him, Atahu achiloh nivra olam. Atahu miche nivra haolam. Atahu baolam hazeh veAtahu baolam abay. You were him in olam hazeh, and you were and you were he uh, alone. Uh, he as in singular in his essence. Lo abak kadesha shimcha amakdiche shimecha. Um, sanctify your name on those who sanctify your name, and immediately Hashem's uh, countenance is appeased, so to speak, and um, He doesn't destroy His world. That's what Eliyahu Anavi That's what uh, v explained to Rav what happened. So this language of Atahu uh olam comes from there, and that's the original uh, girsa. So the Bach and the other scheme, they say that because of this Yerushalmi, um, we shouldn't be changing the girsah we should keep it, mm-hmm. and, and not add anything into it. So because the Sfaradim and other Sidurim in his time were adding words. They added echad and they added barata. Now why did they do that? Because if you look at this, if you look at the reading simply, it says, mm-hmm. right? uh, mm-hmm. you, were, you were he before the world was created and atahu and you or he um, after it was created which sounds like it was created by a third person so this translation would be problematic because Hashem didn't stand by as someone else created the world so they added the words some were adding that you existed before you created the world and you existed, after you created the world, and eventually it became echad, you were one before you created the world and you were one after you created the world. Why did they add the word echad? because simply, even in Ashkenaz way of reading it, which is the original, like the Yerushalmi, the way the Bach does it, nivra olam, the who is, is a pronoun. It's going right back on echad. when we added, when we said al- achad, we say nivra olam, you existed as a you existed as a before the world was created, and to whom That is how. That's that, That's the the proper reading of the Tefillah. So the Bach was not a fan of changing it. However, the Sfaradisi dream do have it changed, and in general, this uh, this tef- this Tefillah is more accurate according to the to the Ashkenazim. Okay, so the Svaradim add the Echad. They make it clear. Um, one second. Uh, they make it clear that the. Um, that Hashem was that it wasn't someone else who created the world. The Bach points out that the reason this is true—that Hashem was one before He created the world, and, one he, and he was one after He created the world—is because the Malachim were created on day two. So day one, Hashem was still alone. There was no other being or conscious being besides Hashem. The only conscious, intelligent being that was existing that we can relate to were the angels on day two. So the Shlach Kadosh he points out. That the structure of this tefillah is Hayahovehiya. Was, is and will be. Because the it's reflecting on the on Shema Israel. And in his way of learning the tefillah al kabbalah and the way the Rokeach learns it, it's discussing the names of Hashem. There's Yud and Alokenu and um Yud is he was is and will be so it starts off you were he before the world was created and then and you existed while the world um uh, after the world was created so that's in this world the present you are you are he or uh, it is you you exist in your in your essence um in the future in the Svaradi version we say and you are and you still exist and your years will never end that's the Svaradi version um, the ashkenaz does not say ushno from, from sukim um, they, it's it's a borrowed lashon but that's the original lashon does not actually have it um, okay so who who was the th- one two. I believe the Ashkenaz version has who four times. Is that correct? One two three four. Yeah. So all the, the Mikvehliim discuss why is it important that who is four times. Each one's can I get another letter? Um, it's not really important to go into all the uh, of yud, of yud, then hey, then vav, then hey. Each who is can I get another? The the four letters of Hashem's name. Each one corresponds to another stage of Hashem's. Um, another stage of Hashem's Hashba'ah or flow into this world right the Yud re- re- represents a single point and that single point is almost like a concentrated energy of Hashem's um, power or essence then there's a Vav which is like an outstretched hand which is reaching out to um, give that essence into our world then there's a the hay, which is like a hand accepting the Yud that's our world and then Vav is, sorry, yud then hey. So yud, there's the yud and there's the, the, I have to do this properly. The yud is put into a hand, the hey, then there's a vav which outstretches it to us to receive, and the hey is the hand which we receive it from Hashem. So Hashem takes his essence, he puts it in a vehicle which we can receive, he then transmits it, and then it receives into our vehicle of reception, which is our, our world. That's yud then hey, then vav then hey. Each who is connected another one of those letters. That, that's that's what, they, what they're saying. The, the, the whole idea of Hashem being He, being His essence, is speaking of Hashem in, in a pronoun because we can't relate to Hashem's actual essence. You know, we can only speak about the R, not the Me'ir. We can only speak about the light, not the one who enlightens. We have no concept of the Me'ir, of Hashem Himself. So we just refer to Him in a pronoun. So, a little further here, it says, Kadesh Shimcha Kadesh Al'am kadesh Shemecha. That's the Svaradi version. Ashkenaz is a little more simple. Meaning, and in your salvation, you shall raise our pride and save us uh, soon uh, for for your name. So this goes along with the theme of the people who were dying this was a time of evil decrees. So this was a prayer to um, save those and to and to um, honor those who were devoting their lives or risking their lives for for kedusha im shamayim. Schwab points out that the Ashkenaz version is makti she shemecha. So makti she in dikduk is not people who sanctify Hashem's name; it's people who cause others to sanctify Hashem's name. It's people who go the extra mile. So Hashem's name is is really you know uh, um, glorified when. You, when we mate when we not only inspire ourselves, but we inspire other people to be Makadeshim Shemaim, the Svaradim simply say Makdishay with a shva, which is who, um, uh, those who are Makadesh Hashem, the true, true Kiddush Hashem. The Raman points this out in Hilchot Shuvah. True Kiddush Hashem, the real sanctification of Hashem's name, is when we do things in private that are very difficult, when we we serve Hashem even in private. They say those those uh, people are rewarded in public for what they practice in private. You know, what you, what you actually work hard on when you're alone, when no one's there to watch you, those are the things which eventually, you know, in public, either in public or lati <laughs> lavo we get rewarded for and people notice the work that we put in, in private. Okay, so the last bracha, uh, sorry, the end of this paragraph. rewarded do, for doing something in private, you're saying? I'm saying that it's... It's definitely more difficult to serve Hashem in private for many people. And it's more difficult when no one's watching. For example, if no one's gonna know if you prayed the minyan or not, that's a kiddush Hashem, when you're actually um, devoting yourself and pushing yourself to serve Hashem even when no one's going to know. Kiddush Hashem doesn't simply doesn't mean when just dying, I'll, I'll kiddush Hashem. It means to live the Kiddush Hashem, yeah. where your life is exclusively for Hashem. You're His servant. You do what He tells you. You do it for Him. It's out of love. It's out of servitude. It's not simply a, but it's also something good, for public. It's also good the other way, because if you do it in public, then it, I guess it depends on what your motive is. If it's to do it in public to show what you're doing, then okay, that's a bad yeah. yeah. But if your motive is to do it in public so other people can learn get, get the, yeah, or get, you get boosted from it, then... Yeah, you're right. There's two sides of it. But the funny thing is that most people, I, uh, when they hear Kiddush Hashem, they think that it's a public thing, that Kiddush Hashem is a is a, is a public act. Mm-hmm. The Rambam points out in Hilchot Shuvah that Kiddush Hashem... Is also very much a private act. It's something which we can do in, in private as well. Mm-hmm. Just like you could be Mechalel, the flip side, you could be Mechalel, Shem, Shemaim in private, not just in public. Has, have, okay, so has, the, has, the yeah. Nusach is Baruch, uh, in the Svaradim, they say Baruch HaMakadeh Shimo uh, Brabim. Uh, that's the uh, the Svaradim, Temanim, the Gra, the Shla, Shibole Haleket, they all say Shemoh. The Tur, the Machsor Vitri, and the Ashkenazim, they all say Shimcha. That uh, Hashem should be Mekadesh, his, his uh, name, or Makadesh Shemo, he who's saying to face his name. It's interesting why they would switch this pronoun, but there's two different, uh, uh, two different ways of doing it. Now, there's a dispute in the Rishonim as to whether or not you should say Shemu well, Malchut. Should you say Baruch atah Hashem, uh, Mekadesh Shemo Berabim? The Tosafot in Misech Baruchot that we just mentioned, they hold you do. Um, they hold it Sibirchot Haudah and you say Baruchot HaShem HaKadeshim HaVarabim. And the Rambam in Seder HaTfila leaves it out. Typical of the Rambam, is not going to put Baruchot HaShem where there's no source for it in the um, in the Bavli. Um, now, even though there's no Bavli source, the Poskim, the Ashkenazi Poskim, the Ashkenazim till today will say, Baruch HaTah Hashem, the Kadesh the Bach, who is one of the prominent Ashkenaz Poskim, he says that the minhag, the minhag is very well established. It comes from a Yushalmi, and it should be upheld. You shouldn't stop people from saying, Baruch Hashem. But I've seen the Midak Tukim, you know, the people who really know what they're doing, they don't say, Baruch Hashem. So it sounds like privately... I personally wouldn't say bruchat Hashem, but don't don't instruct that to the masses. That, that's basically what the Bach says. Svaradim till today we don't do, we don't we don't say hata Hashem. Okay, the I was taught. I remember when I was in yeshiva, maybe in elementary school or high school. I remember learning that if you're going to dial kiddush Hashem, the bracha you're supposed to say is bruchat Hashem al kenum al Hashem kadosh sivanu Right. That basically this bracha. The problem is that there's no source for that. There's no, apparently no early source for that. It's not in a Gemara, it's not in a Mishnah, it's not in any of the earlier writings. It doesn't exist. There's never a bracha made for this. It's interesting, They once there was a sheila asked to the Abu Derham, somebody asked him, what was the rule that Chazal took when they decided to make brachot for some mitzvot and not for other mitzvot? Like, why is there no bracha on tzedakah, yet there's a bracha on, uh, on love? Why is there... No bracha, There's a bracha on Megillah but no bracha on um, Mishlach Manot. When did they make a rule to or not to say something? So that Abu Dhabi Ham struggles to answer this. He says, the truth is, I don't believe there are there are any rules, that there's any keys for exactly why we make a bracha in some places, we don't make a bracha in other places. He Then he starts to give different reasons why the Chachamim felt these areas were appropriate to make bracha, these areas were, were it, it wasn't. For example, Tzedakah, he says, there's no way you know the guy's going to accept it from you. Then it's going to be a bracha levatalah. Right, uh, dying al kiddush Hashem, we could say the same thing. You don't know that the guy is actually going to kill you. But right? you could say, and then the guy runs away. So he really, that could be the answer for why why they never made a bracha. But it's not clear. So the the in sharot ot at the end. He says that because it's a mitzvah to say, because dying al kiddush Hashem. Is a misvata say? Um, I believe it should be said with a bracha. If you're going to dial Piku Dush Hashem, say Hashem Hashem Sozvanu. He borrows this lashon lekadesh shemo Um and he brings a raya from the Rikanati, the Rabbi Menachem Rikanati. You also believe you should say bracha. He didn't say the the language, and he also says use a lamed. Why use a lamed? Because t- today's Chanukah, for example, right? So we say. Um, what do we say lahalik uh, ne'eret right. Hanukkah Moroccans we do shel so there's a discussion in the Poskim when you say le' when you say al so the the Shla believes that you say al in a situation where you can make a Shliach to do something and you say le' when you can't make a Shliach so le' mo Shemobarabim you can't have someone else die for you for Kiddush Hashem it doesn't work that way therefore you would say le'kadeh uh, Shemobarabim now, interestingly, there's a famous Shalot Chuvot Sefer called Shalot Tshuvot Mimamaakim, from the depths, you know the pasuk in Tilim, uh, Shir HaMalot Mimamaakim Katika Hashem, It was written by a Posek whose name was Raphraim Ashri. Raphraim Ashri was a Posek in Europe, in, uh, I think, Lithuania, in Kovna, in the, in, in uh, during the war. And... He wrote to the Shaos and Sefer after the war. He survived the concentration camps. And he was a tremendous Posek. And people used to come to him during the war, after the war, with sheilot, with questions that would boggle your mind. Absolutely the most, the most terrifying, horrible questions. Life and death. Um, Rampant uh, halachot of all, all corners of the Torah, from eating matzah on Pesach to tefillin, to uh, can I kill my father to save someone else's life? You, you know, if my father tell, all kinds of terrifying, terrifying shailot. It's a very scary safer to read. Yeah, there was some. There was a situation where to save his own life, there was a situation where I think the Gestapo told him that if he didn't kill his father, he was going to kill him and his father so um, he said here kill your father or I kill I, you or your father you you right right, right that, yeah. exactly so that was one of the shalot but there's many shalot in there very 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 scary book and he also had an amazing amazing memory so he wrote down everything he chronicled it perfectly every day what happened how it happened um, it's very historically interesting um, it was only 70 years ago it's not even so so far back but he was a bucky in Shulchan Aruch he knew it by heart it's absolutely incredible and someone came and asked him they were rounding up the Kovno Ghetto. It was in Cheshvan. Uh, he says the day, he says everything. It was raining. He he describes the horror: people screaming, running, children, old people. You know, and the the Nazis were gonna select who was gonna live, who was gonna die. They're they're gonna bring them to selection point. I think I think it was a train stop. And somebody approached him. Or be he calls him Rabbi Yo from Warsaw. Somebody he knew, and he said, Rabbi, I need to ask you, Shiloh, what bracha do I make if it comes to it? Like, what bracha should I make if I have to dial Kiddush Hashem? And I have to know because I'm going to, you know, we both are going to need to know. And so he remembered the Petre Tshuva in Kufnun Zion, in Yeradeah, which brings the Shla. And he told him exactly that the Shla says, the Shla lived, by the way, in about the 16th century. So it's the earliest source for such a bracha. It says the Shla, HaKadosh believes we should say, Baruch Hashem Alkenu Melech and he taught this to everybody. He taught this, Rabbi Yahu, who himself died, taught this to many, many prisoners. And he went around and and was mefarsim, this halacha, which probably is how I heard it. Um, the There's another story which relates to this tefillah. Um, it's a famous story in Poland. In um, the 1700s, there was a famous gar. It's called. Uh, his name was. Everyone knows him as Avraham ben Avram, the Ger and he. His name was um, Count Valent, uh, Valentin Potocki, I believe it was. He was a. He was from a Polish family called Potocki. and the. The story goes i mean there's more there's more rumor associated with it than actual fact, because again he was only one guy, and there's a limit to because it was so embarrassing for his family, there was a limit to how much information could be spread safely in Poland. in Poland at the time there's you know there were censors you couldn 't just spread information. there were no newspapers of freedom of press like there is today they couldn 't just spread information, so a lot of the facts around the story are muddled, but there's a misura regarding this that has to do with its fila, which 'll explain in a second the um So the story, in short, is that he went to Paris, and he went to learn in Paris, to to learn, I'm sorry, to to study in seminary in Paris with his friend, and the story is that he met a Jew in a wine shop, uh, who who ran a wine shop, and the Jew um, was studying an old book, and they started asking him what he was studying, and they were Roman Catholics and they had no idea of how to actually study, uh, study the Bible. And his explanations were so profound to them that they had to learn more, and they stayed for six months. He taught them Hebrew, and they were commenced. So um, this graph, uh, this Count uh, Valentine, he decided to first go back to, to Rome to go to the church and try to answer all his kashas, uh, you know, to go figure himself out. He went to Rome, got fed up with Rome, decided he wanted to become Jewish. Fine, so he fled from Rome to Paris. His family found out f- from Rome to Amsterdam because in Amsterdam was the only city in that time which where a garr could basically live openly and not be in any danger. So he went to Amsterdam to live. Then his family found out about it, and his family was not happy, and they were very powerful. So from there he went. Um, he got in touch with the Vilna Gaon. This is the mid-1700s. And Vilna told him to hide in a suburb of Vilna, where he could still practice Judaism because he actually became a gar in Amsterdam. And eventually they caught up with him. And they. the legend is that they burnt him at the stake. Um, it's unlikely, though. There, there's a Makar, the only contemporaneous Makar that we have is Vyakov Enden, who actually doesn't say he was burnt at the stake. It sounds more like he was beat up and, and tortured um, by people because his family really wanted him to either... Like, to publicly renounce it, but you could privately do whatever you want, just like for our, our reputation. Could you please tell the world that you're not Jewish <laughs> and we'll build you a castle. Just do your own thing there, but please uh, let go of our reputation. And the Vilna Gaon, apparently, the Rav on told Rav Shimon Schwab that he has a Mesorah. He has a word of mouth uh, <laughs> le- uh, tradition that the Vilna Gaon was going to arrange to bribe Ke- uh, Avram ben Avram to bribe, I'm sorry, not to bribe him to bribe the guards to let him out to free him and he refused he said, I'd rather die al-Kiddush Hashem than to get bribed which was incorrect so you shouldn't really do that so it's not clear if that part of the story is true but that's what happened that's what he says happened and he so he replied to the Vilna Gaon with a question what bracha do I make if I die with Kiddush Hashem? And so, according to Rabbi Wasserman, the, the Vilna Gaon sent him back to say this tefillah, say the whole tefillah, and end it with Baruch Hashem Ekadeshim Abim. And there are other legends which say that there was one Jew uh the sold the Shorah Shalvada, Rabbi Alexander Ziskind. He was a tremendous Gadol, who dressed as a guy and he went to answer Amen. <laughs> He went to to the to, the, to where he was going to be executed, and he answered, "Amen." That's that's the legend of the of the But whatever is true or not true. Um, Apparently, the common belief today is that one should say this bracha if they died al Kiddush Hashem. I don't know whether or not one should say it. I think Shema Yisrael is fine. I think saying a bracha is fine. If you die al Kiddush Hashem, I really doubt that the last, that you're going to go to heaven and they're going to be like, new, like you said, a bracha levatala. <laughs> you know, I don't think that that's, it's going to be the least of their problems, I hope. Okay, so the next part. Seems to be written also, it, seems, it has a later language. The the larger paragraph here is Atahu Attahuashemalokima Shemaimba Alva Aratmita. Um Bishmea Shemaimba Tahtonim. The Ashkenaz version is a little shorter. Um atu rishon batu acharon m beladeha en alokim. That's the idea. So the idea is to again reaffirm that Hashem is the only one, the one in the heavens, the one in the lower earth. He was first, he was last, and besides for him, there is no other God. This is uh, reaffirming in a more verbose matter that the Zoroastrian teachings are garbage. Hashem is the only God, first, last, and always will be, always was, and there's no other God besides him. Now comes the tefillah for the future. This is a very touching tefillah asking for the for the biat mashiach so it says gather those who hope for you from all four corners of the land am i reading i'm sorry i keep reading from the ashkenaz one did i get it right they should recognize and know all those who walk the earth that you are the only god that exists and in, in the uh, Ashkena, in the Sfaradi version, it says Elion, the Kol Ma'achot Ha'aretz. Uh, Elion, el they add the word Elion, the Kol Ma'achot Ha'aretz. Said, Hashem is higher above all supremacy on earth. Uh Let's contrast again: Atasi tater Shemay Met Ha'aretz, et Hayam You created the the heavens, the earth, and the ocean, everything in it. Who exists in the uppers or lowers? Who can tell you what to do? Avinu shebashamayim, ase imanu chesed bavurshim chagadol, do for us the kindness in the uh, in the sake of your great name. Shenikra, I'm sorry, Shenikra lenu, which you have uh, called your great name upon us. Vekayam lenu, vekayam lanu, Hashem alokinu mashakatuv, and you should fulfill the pasuk. This is the last pasuk in in uh, in Sefania. So the sardim are more verbose. They say, That you have promised us through your seer, uh, uh, Tsifania, as it says, at that time, meaning in the time of Mashiach, I shall bring you and in the time of my ingathering of you and I will uh, make you renowned and praised among all the nations of the earth among all the nations of the earth as I return you from your exiles echem, before your very eyes amar Hashem so, so says Hashem so Rishwab has something very clever says something very very interesting here he says that the first part kovecha re- refers to the tzadikim and kol umi b'chol and the part about asey imanu chesed b'avor shimcha that you should do for us chesed are two different stages. that's everyone else there's kovecha and there's a imanu the kovecha that's the tzadikim, a is everyone else. Why? Because there's two stages of the ge'ula. There's going to be a stage of the ge'ula where the tzadikim are saved. That's stage one. The stage two is where everybody else gets saved. It's almost like a uh, first class, and then everybody else, uh, uh, regular boarding. So the first uh, section is is kovecha. The second section is um Uh, and his proof is from the closing pasuk because at first it says at that time I will bring you I'm going to bring you as I'm going to bring the tzaddikim. the tzaddikim are going to get special treatment they're going to be walked in front of Hashem but at that time I'm going to gather you in the gathering in that's for the regular people I'm going to make you greater and renowned from all the people as I, as I uh, return your exiles, before your eyes, before your eyes represents the tzaddikim. The the tzaddikim are gonna witness the um the from uh, from back seats. They're gonna see all the, the, the wonders. The tamanim and the and actually the Machzor vitri, they have a little bit of a different ending here. They add some Pesukim and then the Ta'manim actually go on with Hashem Alech and then they go right to Baruch Shamar. We uh, have a bit of a while to go until Baruch Shamar. We have the Korbanot and the Korbanot and the Korbanot and the Zvachim and and Zvachim and the Korbanot and the Todah. Finally, Rabbi Shmael, and then we'll have Hodu and Baruch Shamar. So we'll get to that one day. Great looking Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah.